the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I think it's important for us to realize God's loving care for all people, not just Israel. In raising up Joseph, God was taking care of a lot of people. Praise to the God who reigns above. God never wanted to destroy Egypt. That wasn't his plan with the whole exodus. They were his people too. Jacob's greatest moments come at the end of his life. He may not have lived much of his life well, but he sure exited it clicking on all cylinders. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. I'm your host, Nate Elliott, as we join Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Genesis. Joseph and his brothers were finally reunited, Joseph having forgave them for everything in the past. Joseph longs to be reunited with his father, Jacob. He told his brothers to bring the whole family back to live in Egypt. Joseph made a plan for how the whole family will live and work in Egypt. They all presented this plan to Pharaoh. Here we pick up with Pastor Will in Genesis chapter 47, verse 4. For your servants have no pasture for their flocks, for the famine is sore in the land of Canaan. Now therefore we pray you, let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. So Pharaoh spoke unto Joseph, saying, Your father and your brethren have come unto you. The land of Egypt is before you. In the best of the land, make your father and your brethren to settle down, to dwell. In the land of Goshen, let them dwell. And if you know any men of activity among them, in other words, guys who are competent or skillful shepherds, then make them rulers over my cattle. And so Joseph brought in Jacob, his father. So we see here that Pharaoh buys into the plan and he treats Joseph and his family with great kindness. Pharaoh didn't have to do that. He could have balked at the idea of having a foreign people on his land. He could have sought for advantageous trade agreements in return for letting them stay on his land. But rather than do any of that, he's generous. And he ends up glorifying the Lord by these actions because it fulfills God's promise to Jacob that he would take care of them and make them a great nation in Egypt. That lies in direct contrast to another Pharaoh, doesn't it? The Pharaoh of Moses' day who hardened his heart against God's plan for his life. And as a result, he wrecked his own nation. See, both ended up glorifying God. The one experienced God's blessing because of his generosity and the other God's judgment for his rebellion. We always have a choice. Well, Joseph, verse 7, he brings in Jacob, his father, and he set him before Pharaoh. Joseph, Jacob has a very difficult time getting around. And notice here it mentions, what does Jacob do to Pharaoh? He comes in and he blesses him. Pharaoh said unto Jacob, how old are you? Jacob said unto Pharaoh, The days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Few and evil have the days of the years of my life been. And I have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers, my forefathers, and the days of their pilgrimage. But Jacob blessed Pharaoh, and he went out from before Pharaoh. What a weird little transaction that is. See, to bless someone means to invoke words of divine favor. Jacob comes in and 
Pharaoh is one of the most powerful men in the world. And he comes into me and says, the Lord bless you. The Lord, you know, watch over you and protect you and keep you safe and give you wisdom. He just starts blessing him, you know, and, and bringing God's, you know, blessings upon him and hoping the best for him. That's not something you usually do. Normally you'd be like, oh, thank you, Pharaoh, for letting me come before you. Would you have anything to bless me with? But Jacob walks right in and blesses Pharaoh. Most people came to Pharaoh for a divine blessing. They thought he was God after all. But Hebrews 7, 7 says very clearly that the lesser is always blessed by the greater. And by blessing Pharaoh, Jacob is claiming superiority over him. Interesting. <laughs> I don't know if his dream in Beersheba emboldened him. I don't know if seeing his family mended in whole thought, ah, I'm, I'm going to go for broke. But either way, Jacob lays hold of the truth that God spoke to his grandfather Abraham in Genesis 12, 3, that all of the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. And that God would bless those who blessed him. And so Jacob, and being blessed that he would welcome them into his land, give them the good of the land, he blesses him. He says, listen, there's a blessing upon you because you have blessed me and my family, and I bless you. Now that Pharaoh received the blessing, like I said, is remarkable. The Egyptians considered him to be the human embodiment of Ra, their sun god. So he was obviously impressed with Jacob, though, guessing that he was ancient by his physical condition. He thought, well, maybe he's blessing me because he's just... You know, he's so much older than me. Maybe that's the case. You know, older people were considered greater than younger, so maybe that's why he thought. And so he asks him, he says, how old are you, man? You look like, you look like you're 400, you know? you know? How old are you? Jacob informs him, well, listen, buddy, it's not the number of those years that I look like the way I do, but how hard those years have been. That's why I look so rough. He says, few and evil have been the days of my life. And he says, I have not attained to the days or the years of the life of my fathers and the days of their pilgrimage. So much of Jacob's life had been scheming, right? Scheming for wealth, scheming for land, scheming for survival. And having left all those promises by, everything he had fought for his whole life, he's just left it, right? Everything he had schemed for, everything he lied for, all that, everything God gave him freely later on, he's left it all behind now. And I wonder, I wonder if Jacob finally realizes that his riches are in the fact that God is with him, that God was with him wherever he went. And so he declares that his life is but a pilgrimage. I'm just passing through. My real home is with the Lord. See, the book of Hebrews says that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that's how they thought. I think it took a while for Jacob to get there. But it says in Hebrews 11, verses 13 through 16, that these all died in faith not having received the promise. Jacob never got the land in the same, you know, in all of the, the, the degree that God promised he would get it. But having seen those promises afar off, they were persuaded of them, they believed them, and they embraced them, and they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly, they're looking for a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out of, they might have had opportunity to go back. But now they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. And because of that, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. You know, I imagine when Jacob died, and he opened his eyes on the other side, I don't think he was disappointed. All his hopes and dreams, I think, were beyond realized in paradise. Jacob says, my life was, has been few, my days have been few and evil, Job, Job declared that life was hard and full of trouble. 
But I don't think that's what Jacob's referring to. I think Jacob's acknowledging that his physical condition is a result of living much of his life the hard way instead of the way God wanted him to, that he fought with God most of his life. And yet, you know what I find is fascinating? All those bitter thoughts, those regrets, he doesn't leave Pharaoh with those things. But verse 10, what does he do again? He blesses him again, a second time. (laughs) And then he left. Let me ask you a question. What impression do you leave people with? Do you leave people with the impression that your life is miserable, that you're miserable? Or do you leave them with a blessing? You know, some of us live hard lives because of our stubborn rebellion in the past, and we bear the consequences like Jacob. Some of us live hard lives just due to the suffering that has nothing to do with poor choices. It's just sometimes life is hard and full of trouble. But either way, God loves us. Either way, he's been good to us. He's never abandoned us. And so you always have a reason to leave people with a blessing. You always have a reason to leave someone with something that they can walk away with and be encouraged. Verse 11, Joseph now sees to his family. He nourished his father, his father and his brethren. It simply means he settled them down. And, and it's all his father's household with bread according to their families. And there was no bread in all the... I'm sorry, I think I skipped a verse. Joseph placed his father and his brethren, and the word there means he settled them down, gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded, and he nourished them there. So Joseph oversaw their settlement in their new home. He cared for them just like he promised. Things have truly been mended. But there's a little glitch here. It mentions that he settled them down in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of where? Ramses. Ramses. Oh, that wretched little phrase there. This has been the source of all sorts of historical problems for the Israelites' stay in Egypt and their exodus from Egypt. Forever, people have said the Bible can't be true because there is little to no archaeological evidence that supports Israel being in Egypt during the time of the Pharaoh named Ramses. They can't find anything. Until most recently, most scholars question the biblical account of Israel's stay in Egypt. They questioned their slavery there. There was no sign of any slaves. And their sudden departure back to Canaan. All of it was questioned until recently. What changed? Well, as happens normally, man eventually catches up with God. And as more information is coming to light, some are realizing that the name of Ramses is in other documents that predate the reign of the Pharaoh by that name. It is possible that the name here has nothing to do with his reign and that trying to put the Israelites there in that time period just is a wrong presupposition. But rather that this name could be used independently and was used independently for a place. If that's the case, then we could seek and look for the Israelites stay in Egypt at an earlier date. One that fits the biblical account much better. And you know what they're starting to find? all the signs that there was a people there that were slaves to Egypt and left suddenly. Interesting, isn't it? I told you. you, Oh, there's no archaeological evidence. Give it time. (laughs) Give it time. Set the clock. It might take them a few decades, but they'll figure it out. Verse 13. And there was no bread in the land, for the famine was very sore, so that the land of Egypt and all the land of Canaan fainted by reason of the famine. So, Having settled his family, Joseph has to go back to work. He has to go back to managing the famine. So it goes on here and it says that 
Joseph, verse 14, gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the grain that they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. And when money failed in the land of Egypt, when people ran out of money to buy grain, and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us bread, for why should we die in your presence? The money has failed. We have nothing left. And so Joseph struck a deal with them. He said, Give me your cattle. And I will give you for your cattle if you don't have money. So they brought their cattle unto Joseph, and Joseph gave them bread in exchange for their horses, or for their flocks, or for their cattle, or for their herds, or for their donkeys. And he fed them with bread for all their cattle for that year. So in that year, Joseph made a very wise decision. See, what Joseph could have done is just said, well, what do you got to offer? Oh, you got your cattle? Give it to me. But that's not what it says here. He gave it back to them so that they would actually now just be subletters of Pharaoh's cattle. The good part about being a subletter is that it means the cattle gives you other stuff. Cattle gives you certain things that you can use for mortar and brick and things like that. Cattle gives you milk, all the various things that are given. It's just the idea is that it belongs in general to Pharaoh. And so as a result, Joseph knew taking everything they had would only cause the nation to descend into chaos once they ran out of food the next time. And so he is wise, takes what he can. He enriches Pharaoh, but at the same time, they still have their cattle in a sense. They can make money off it and profit. Well, they say, wherefore, why shall we die in your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us in our land for bread, and we and our land will be servants unto Pharaoh, and give us seed that we may live and not die, and the land be not desolate. So they agree. Joseph bought all the land of Pharaoh, all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. For the Egyptians sold every man his field because the famine prevailed over them. So the land became Pharaoh's. I realize I skipped verse 18. So the next year what happens is they come again. And so Joseph offers now, how about we do this? You gave me your cattle last year. I'll buy your land this year. And so the people said, what good is our land if we're dead? So they gave the land to Pharaoh. But here's what Joseph did. It says here, verse 21, as for the people... He reorganized everything into a more organized way that the crops would be handled better. Now it wasn't for personal gain only, it was for the gain of Pharaoh because the famine prevailed over them. In other words, the land that they would not get a lot of substance from, he said, we're going to leave that thing alone. We're going to go to the fertile, most fertile areas and that's where you're going to work. And so, verse 22, the only land that he didn't buy was the priest's land because the priests had a portion assigned them of Pharaoh and did eat their portion which Pharaoh gave them, wherefore he didn't sell their lands. But Joseph said unto the people, Behold, I have bought you this day in your land for Pharaoh. Lo, here is seed for you. Go sow the land. And it shall come to pass in the increase. You're not going to give me everything. You're just going to give me 20%, a fifth part, unto Pharaoh. And four parts shall be for you, for seed of the field and for your food and for them of your households and for food for your little ones. And they said, You have saved our lives. Let us find grace in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's servants. So Joseph made it a law over the land of Egypt unto this day that Pharaoh should have the fifth part. This is where taxes began. That was supposed to be funny. There we go. Except the land of the priests only, which became not Pharaoh's. So a couple of things here. I know I butchered when I skipped a verse, but Joseph again shows wisdom. They get to keep their land, but there's a 20% tax on anything they grow. They didn't get handouts. They got a hand up. And they still had to work their land, and eventually, when the famine ended, they would return back to their profitable levels of business. But they also paid Pharaoh for it. Now, the reason that uh, Joseph did not take the priest's lands 
is because as a united faction, they wielded more power than the Pharaoh did. You didn't mess with those guys. They had power over death, so you just didn't mess with them. And so as such, the Pharaoh took care of them free of charge. Government hasn't changed much. We still take care of the most people, powerful people free of charge. It's important to realize, though, I think, you think, well, why is this here? Why do we even hear this story? It has nothing to do with Jacob. But I think it's important for us to realize God's loving care for all people, not just Israel. In raising up Joseph, God was taking care of a lot of people. God never wanted to destroy Egypt. That wasn't his plan with the whole exodus. They were his people too. Isaiah chapter 19, turn with me there real quick, verses 19 through 25. I love this. God prophesying about Egypt and how he's going to judge it, but then he says this about their future. In Isaiah 19, in that day at the the end times, there shall be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar at the border thereof to the Lord. And it shall be for a sign and for a witness unto the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt. For they shall cry unto the Lord because of the oppressors. And he shall send them a savior and a great one, and he shall deliver them. The Antichrist is going to ravage Egypt. He is going to lay Egypt waste. And Egypt is going to return and repent and cry out to the Lord. And the Lord, when he returns from heaven, he will rescue them. And the Lord shall smite Egypt, and he shall smite it. I'm sorry, uh, verse 21. And the Lord shall be known to Egypt, and the Egyptians shall know the Lord in that day. And they shall do sacrifice and oblation. Yea, they shall vow vow unto the Lord and perform it. And the Lord shall smite Egypt. Literally, it means that he shall touch Egypt. He shall touch it and heal it. And they shall return even to the Lord, and he shall be entreated of them and shall heal them. In that day, there shall be a highway out of Egypt to Assyria. And the Assyrians shall come into Egypt and the Egyptian into Assyria. And the Egyptians shall serve with the Assyrians. They're going to serve the Lord. And that day shall Israel be the third with Egypt and with Assyria, even a blessing in the midst of the land whom the Lord of hosts shall bless, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, mine inheritance. Pretty cool, huh? God loved the Egyptians. Verse 27, we just got a few more verses. So Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt, in the country of Goshen, and they had possessions therein. They made houses, and they really settled down, and they grew, and they multiplied exceedingly. Jacob lived in the land for seven of Egypt, 17 years. So the whole age of Jacob was 147 years. Just like God promised Jacob, he blessed them down there and he began to make them a great nation. You know, this blessing had to start immediately to get them to a total of 2 million people just 400 years later. So they grew very quickly. I find it fascinating that Jacob got to be with Joseph for 17 years in Egypt because he was separated with him for 16 years. He got to enjoy Joseph and his grandkids for one more year than they'd been separated. The Bible says weeping may last for the night, but joy truly comes in the morning. Amen? Can you imagine how wonderful those 17 years were? I imagine it wiped out a lot of that pain. Well, the time drew near, verse 29, that Israel must die. So he summoned his son Joseph, and he said unto him, If I have now found grace in your sight, put, I pray, your hand under my thigh, and deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me, I pray you, in Egypt, but I will lie with my fathers, and you shall carry me up out of Egypt and bury me in the burying place. And Joseph said, I will do as you have said. And he said, swear unto me. And Joseph swore unto him. The tone that Jacob uses here is of an inferior to a superior. He says, if I have found favor in your sight, 
then show me this love. Show me this faithfulness that you will not bury me. You know, Abraham used none of this language when he commanded his servant to swear an oath to go get a wife for, for Isaac, Jacob's dad. Jacob isn't commanding his son here. He's asking his son for a favor. It's a very odd tone in that culture for a parent to take with a child. His request, I don't want to be buried here. My will, what I want, is to be buried in my homeland. And this is why he uses the tone of request. He wants Joseph to see his heart. It's like he's telling Joseph, I know I lived a stubborn life, son, but that's not who I am anymore. God chose our family for a special blessing My grandfather believed it, my father believed it, and it may have taken me a while, but I believe it with all my heart too. And as such, I want the last thing people remember about me is I want them to see my bones being laid to rest in the land of God's promise so they never, ever forget it. And when Joseph promises to do so, Jacob does something very odd. It says, And Israel bowed himself upon the bed's head, It's a bad translation. It means he bowed himself upon his mat. They didn't have big bedposts back then. They mostly slept on padded mats on the floor. Here we find this very aged, very physically challenged man. After his son swears, he promises, I'll do this. He gets down on his face and he bows down to him. After Joseph swears, Jacob bows to his son. Some see it as him worshiping God, but this isn't a conversation between him and God. This is a moment between him and Joseph. Remember that second dream we haven't dealt with yet? It's fulfilled here. Jacob bows down before his son. And does the tone of his request make a little bit more sense now? Looking at his son saying, you know, you had that dream years ago and I rebuked you for it. But I acknowledge that this was the Lord's plan. And he bows down to him. The thing which he had hidden in his heart, it's Jacob's final submission to God's plan. And it's beautiful. There are so many stories of men and women who finish poorly in the Bible. And sadly, many of us do the same. We spend all this time trying and planning to live well, and we never spend time planning to die well. But when you look at Jacob's life, his greatest moments, they all come at the end. All of them. We're going to spend, you think he's dead. No, we got three more chapters left. Two of them dedicated 100% to him. He does some of the most magnificent things. He utters an amazing prophecy and he handles the situation with Joseph's sons the way his own dad couldn't do it. Jacob's greatest moments come at the end of his life. He may not have lived much of his life well, but he sure exited it clicking on all cylinders. And I want that testimony for the end of my life too that I finished well. That with Paul I can say, I have fought the fight. I have fought a good fight. I finished the course that God set out for me. I've kept the faith. I finished well. So, I would ask you tonight, what's your exit strategy? Is the plan to live life to the max in your prime and then just hope things end up okay when you can't live that way anymore? If that's the case, then tonight's the night to ask the Lord to help you to number your days so you can finish well. You don't know when your end is. Or maybe you think it's too late to finish well because of all the mistakes you've made up to this point. Well, like Jacob, whatever time you have left, there's still a testimony to be written. And your greatest moments might be right now. 
Make the years left the strongest you've ever had. Amen? Make them the best. See, the quality of Jacob's last few years outweighed the quantity of his life lived for self. And so can yours. It's never too late to be all in for Jesus. Never. Let's pray. Lord, today is the day of salvation. You say that in in, in 2 Corinthians. Today's the day to make that start with you or today's the day to say, you know what, I'm gonna get back on the path. I'm gonna walk with my God again. And so, Lord, we give ourselves to you right now. We wanna walk with you. We want to be all in for you. And whatever time we have left, it may be an hour, it might be a day, it might be a month, it might be a year, it might be a 100 years, Lord. Whatever the time is that you have left, we wanna live it for you fully that our testimony might be sure that we finished well. Lord, use us. We give ourselves to you completely. In Jesus' name, amen. Jacob was reunited with his son after 16 years. He realized that through all of the ups and downs of life, God had been shepherding him all along. God leads us into the green pastures. He also walks us through the valleys. But our every step is seen by Him. We have no reason to fear, no reason to doubt God. Even the impossible is made possible with Him. But if you have questions or would like prayer concerning this or for anything at all, please reach out to us. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.